Hi, welcome to the podcast, Get Deep Inside. I'm your host, Karina Reyes. Thank you for listening. I wanted to first start off by saying that if you could go leave me a review, you know, five stars, four stars, leave a comment on iTunes, um, it would be very helpful. That way, you know, it gets the name out more and people can see it. Um, but yeah, today I have a very special comedian for you. So today I have a comedian for you. His name is Mike Spettel. Mike Spettel. Spettel. It's okay. <laughs> Everyone mispronounces it. What origin is that? Uh, it's German. Oh. German. It's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear like when you pronounce German words, you gotta sound kind of constipated. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> a, yep. So are you like full German? So I'm um, German, Irish. Um, I think my grandma was like from her family's from like Wales and then a quarter oh. Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah, I figured there was some Irish in there. Yeah, 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 with the beard color yeah. and mm-hmm. Um, have you been to visit any of those places? I haven't. I've actually never been to Europe. Um, the only I've been to Guatemala and then I've been to Australia. But oh, cool. Yeah. I heard Australia is cool, but they're um they're very like conservative. Yeah, yeah, I went there, so it was the summer going into my eighth grade year, it was like with this student group, oh, um, nice. so, yeah, it was, uh, I think if I were to go back now, like, now yeah. that I kind of know how to appreciate travel I more. Think, I think they're not very friendly to, like, the gays. Yeah, 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 that's what I've, that's what I've heard, too, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I have a friend that it's like, he plans his vacation to where he knows that he'll feel safe. Yeah, exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously I wasn't out back in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. <I was> <laughs> yeah. Um, You're like going back in the class? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was like with the student group, and it was like very, you know, regimented. So, like, you know, bus trip, like we had to be on the bus and everything at a certain yeah. time every day. So. And where did you grow up? Uh, so, I'm originally from this small town called Norwalk, Ohio. Oh, I was going to um, Norwalk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm from there. It's like this very small town. I think there's like 15,000 people. Oh, wow. People. I think you were going to say like 1,500. Yeah, no, no. Um, it feels like only 1,500 at some times, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a small town. Um, and then like I went to college in Cleveland, and then I lived there for like three years after graduation, and then I moved out here in June of 2017. So. Okay, so you've been here a couple yeah, coming up on two and a half. Yeah. So how do you like LA? I like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think it's my I think this is my like end game. Point. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think I've learned pretty much everything that I can from Ohio at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's like some cities are maybe a little bit more closed off. Yeah. Like more open to things, more progressive. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. It's really good. I like um. Just like especially the weather like on Christmas or on Halloween then like they got a snowstorm out there yeah, and it's like 90 yeah exactly <laughs> like my last straw was I lived in downtown Cleveland and one morning I walked from my gym to my apartment it was like less than a block and I get up to my apartment and I have like I- legit icicles <laughs> hanging from my beard yeah. so I'm like okay we can we could stop yeah. this <laughs> yeah two years ago I went to Boston for like New Year's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. New York and I was dying. Yeah. Like, Boston was really cool. I think it was, like, 9 degrees. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool, I've never seen snowfall. Yeah. It's cool for a minute, and then you're just, like, get me out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um... It's very dangerous to walk on the snow, too. You're, you just, like, almost slip. Yeah, it is. And, like, um... Yeah, like, the ice, and especially, like, Cleveland's up on Lake Erie, so they would get really bad, like, lake effect snow. And it wasn't just, like, the snow and the ice. The worst, w- um, like, we would have times where class would be canceled because it was so cold out, like, negative 13 degrees oh, wow. with uh, the wind chill. So, like, if you go outside for, like, 10 minutes, any exposed skin will have frostbite, frostbite on it. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm sure that must have been kind of cool. It's like, oh, no, it's cool today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I had, we had, like, maybe three of those my whole time in college and the um I was one of them was my senior year and our advanced accounting or advanced financial accounting professor 
asked us if we would still come to class. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> He gave us like an extra day off before spring break, but oh. yeah, it was, uh, yeah, they take it. What, what did you go to school for? Accounting. Oh, accounting. Mm-hmm. Is that what you do now? Yeah, yeah, so that's my full time. I, um. So a little bit of like you and you. Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, my, so it's, there, I have four siblings, um, oldest one lives up in San Francisco. And, like, all the boys in our family are, there's older brother, me, younger brother, younger sister, and all the boys are accountants, <laughs> so, yeah. It's, like, embedded in Yeah, your exactly. Um, like, what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, it's very, it was a good, like, it's a good stable career. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, especially the time that I was going into school and, like, choosing a profession was, like, you know, 2009, 2010, when we're, like, in the height of a recession, and, you know, my dad's in real estate, so that was, like, the worst time for business for him, so a lot of the, like, what I was looking for was, like, that stability of Mm -hmm. a career, and didn't really think about, like, going to college for something that I was passionate about, um, I mean, there are some people that are passionate about accounting, I guess. We call them sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it is, like, I have had some really good, like, I've been able to meet a lot of really good people through it. But, yeah, just, like, Ohio not being my end game, I don't think accounting is my end game yeah. as well. Yeah, I actually never thought about, like, a passion or any of that. Mm-hmm. Like, never just talked about that. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I'm, I'm good at math. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's what I did. Um, and it was hard, and I finished it, and that's what I do for a job. Mm-hmm. But I never thought, like, because, like, I would see the art majors, and we would always make fun of them. Yeah, no, exactly. Especially, like... Like, like, good luck getting a job. Yeah, right. Like, I went to um, a college in Cleveland, which um, it's a Jesuit college um, that's, like, a... I, I want to say maybe, like, a sect of Catholicism. It's, oh, like, a type of... There's, like, Jesuit priests, um, and they're really big in, like, higher education. So, like, LMU oh, um, is yeah. a Jesuit school, like, Boston College. Um, there's a lot of, like, Jesuit colleges, but in Cleveland, it was a very, like, conservative environment oh. at the school that I went to. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, like, the same situation for me. Like, accounting was, uh, like, I was a business major and everyone else was, like, that had, like, a, uh, you know, a passion major. It was kind of, like, we kind of scoffed at them. Yeah, it was frowned upon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm just, like, you guys are the smart ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? It's, like, now I'm trying to, like, figure out what I really want to do for the rest of my life yeah. at 27 compared to people that had, like... 18. Yeah. Drama mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. Or like do whatever makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Of whatever your parents did. Yeah, exactly. Like they were just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think I definitely was like, um, it was very drilled into me kind of by my parents. Like, you know, there was the expectation I would go to college and like get a job afterwards, which you know that's a that's a good expectation I think for your parents to give yeah. you that they want you to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I kind of wish that I would have had more wiggle room in my brain to kind of explore more options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, you know, you're going to a kind of a religious school. Were mm-hmm. you really out when you were there? No, I wasn't really out until I was about 23. So a couple years out of school. Yeah. Um. And you probably had to like, like, did you know? Yeah, I would say I kind of knew, um, and started kind of getting the idea in, like, seventh grade, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, I've always kind of had this, like, I've always been a really big, like, people pleaser, Mm -hmm. um, and something that I've kind of been realizing about myself is that, like, I've kind of had a big, like, codependence problem. Oh, yeah, I had the same issue with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, we had to spend every minute together. Yeah. we were not together, it's like the other one is sad. Mm-hmm, yeah. Waiting for the other 
like, yeah, exactly. Or, like, when one of you is sad, not the other one is sad. Yeah. And it's, like, that shouldn't be the case. Like, if you're sad, I shouldn't be sad either. Yeah, right? It's, like, you can't really, um, you can't really have empathy when you're codependent. Because yeah. if you don't know where you begin and another person ends... Um, I think I kind of had, like, a big misunderstanding of what codependence was, too, like... Yeah, I thought it was just, like, I really like this person and I just want to spend time with Yeah, them. right, and, like, I always kind of got the idea, like, you know, you watch, like, Intervention or something, you <laughs> see, like, codependence as, like, enabler and addict. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, like, it can be, it's not just, like, a micro, but, like, a macro codependence, you know, where, like, you have this just strong need to have like the approval of other people yeah. um so naturally i decided to do stand-up <laughs> yeah I, i've heard a couple people i was listening to an interview with seinfeld and he said that comedians uh even my therapist said the same thing i can't remember the word but it's like uh we're we're making up for something by doing comedy yeah yeah exactly yeah. and even like i think growing up i kind of see like the seeds of codependence of like when I made friends, like, I would kind of find someone that had, like, that had the strong personality, mm -hmm. and then, like, they were my best friend, um, and, like, you know, I would have a lot of friends and stuff, but it was always kind of, like, this person's my best friend, and, like, I need to have their, I need to be their best friend, too. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my issue was, like, I had a hard time keeping friends. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I don't have any childhood friends. Yeah. Like, the the longest friends are from, like, ninth grade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just because every time I made friends, I don't know, something would happen and they, they would just, you know, abolish me. <laughs> yeah. And so I would just be trying to hang out with all these groups but never belong to anything. Exactly, yeah. Fitting in instead of belonging. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I was just weird or, like, an outcast. And I didn't really know what I was doing that, you know, or whenever, I think also maybe I would sabotage the friendship. Yeah, yeah. Like when they got too close, somehow I would say the wrong thing. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Or like, I finally gained this person's approval, now like, now what? Like. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that happens too in relationships. It's like, once it gets close, you do something to push them away. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's weird because you want them, but then you also don't want them. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for me, like it comes from like the childhood trauma, because it's like you have a hard time trusting people and you can't really let people in. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, like my parents, who are the ones that are supposed to like protect you, like they weren't really doing that. Yeah. It's like a hard if you don't have the trust. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah, that's um. Yeah, I've definitely like, especially these past, like I started um, January of this year, like therapy and like seeing a psychiatrist and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like I started doing kind of like stand up kind of hardcore about this time a year ago. Okay. So and I think that that kind of had like, you know, being open on stage, like you kind of have to be open because yeah. audiences kind of have that uh, built in bullshit detector. Yeah, I was talking about that today. Like, you have to be authentic because they know when you're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that, like, being authentic in your stand-up, too, is, like, that's what makes you you. Like, yeah. anyone could tell a dick joke, like, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like, how does your experience specifically, like, impact that? Yeah, because I just took a class, and everybody in the class was really good. Mm-hmm. And everybody's comedy is so different. Yeah. They are different. Mm -hmm. It's like all these people could become great comedians and they're not competing with you because they're their own person. Exactly, exactly. Like, you know, you'll go to, I mean, I'm, you go to a bunch of open mics, I go to a bunch of open mics, you'll hear somebody have like a similar premise. Like, I remember the first time I did stand up, it was back in Cleveland in like 2016, and it was the show, and um, the guy who went up before me, like, the big joke that I had was something about having a speech impediment growing up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is going to kill. This is going to be awesome. The guy who went up before me had a bit about his speech impediment growing up. And it just, like, blew mine out of the water. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. No, I've had ideas where it's like, I don't know if you heard, but that 
because people keep flushing their drugs, mm -hmm. it's going into the the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how they found a lot of shrimp that had cocaine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, that must be like a good joke, and I had an idea, mm -hmm. and I saw this comedian do a joke, and his joke was ten times. Exactly. Better. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah, right. Or like I hate when I'll be like, I have like. I start thinking of a premise and then I'm like, okay, this is, this is something to explore at a later date. So I put it like, put it in my book and then like, I'm going to work on this later. And then I get on Twitter that day and I see somebody just had like perfect, like perfect joke about that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So then it kind of shows like these broader things, like it's a lot easier to do the specific stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because other people can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think kind of like. The way that I see it, um, like, progressing in stand-up is, like, your first three months, you're pretty much just writing jokes to get a laugh. And then, like, kind of after that, like, after you kind of gain some confidence on stage, that's kind of where the seeds of your character start coming out on stage. Yeah. Or, like, I did one show, like, my first, like, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. It was at the Brea Improv. Oh, yeah. And I was, like, panicking because I was supposed to do seven minutes. Then the host was went to the wrong improv. Oh god. And they were like, Can you do ten minutes? And I was like, Yeah, I can do ten minutes. Mm -hmm. And then somehow I don't know what happened, like I didn't see the light and I just went into fifteen. Oh my god. He didn't get mad because I was still making up trying for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at one point like I knew I didn't have enough material and I just started just going off script and just yeah. being me. Yeah. And they're just quiet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm talking about my parents and whatever and then I'm just like I'm or my job, how it's sexist, and yeah. how, you know, why I quit, and then I'm just like, I'm sorry that I'm depressing you guys, <laughs> and they laughed, and then I tried to end on a joke, but mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I blew it, mm -hmm. and then the the guy who booked me, he was like, oh, you did great, like, I'll let you know when I have something else, nice, and I was like, oh, I'm over here thinking I blew it, because I wasn't doing jokes, yeah, 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 exactly. That's kind of why I like doing those, like, improv mics where mm -hmm. um, I try to do, like, at least one of those a week where yeah. I just go in and, like, even if it's not one of those, like, pull suggestion from the bucket, like, I'll just try to go and just, like, I have a funny thought during the week and I'm just going to riff on it for five minutes yeah. because it's a fucking open mic. Like, who cares? Like, the stakes are down here. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, um, like, the teacher, he, that's what he recommended. He's like, go in there with a the purpose. Because if you're just doing the same five minutes over and over mm -hmm. again, you're really not getting anything out of exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. It's like, um, like there's the 10,000 hour rule, like you spend 10,000 hours on a rule in order to master it, but I think you see some people that like, I've seen them since January and they still have the same five minutes that they've been doing. And it's like, like you're not really challenging yourself. It's 10,000 hours of like focused practice on something yeah. not just like doing the same thing over and over again yeah, it's hard though because like i was trying to do like a therapy bit yeah it just wasn't working yeah and then like i just this like random thing happened with my mom and she called me and i thought that was really funny mm -hmm. and i wrote it down and i tested it and it worked and i was able to build on it yeah but it's like oh sometimes it just comes to you because mm -hmm. then it's like when you're forcing yourself to just write yeah like for me that doesn't work yeah exactly exactly like i'm i've never been just like a sit down like pencil and paper like oh this is this will be a good bit like let me write it out i'll try to have like three or four general ideas about a new bit that I just kind of brainstorm and then I throw like just go to a mic and just it's pretty much throw a spaghetti on the fridge and see yeah. what sticks yeah and I think that's the right approach yeah mm-hmm because I mean something could be really funny in your head but you have no idea if it's yeah. gonna be funny in front of an audience and like at the end of the day that's really all that matters yeah and the thing that the teacher was saying was like it's not up to you to decide what's not funny. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't just be cutting things out because you're, like, do the whole story, whatever gets laughed, that's what you keep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been doing this for three years? Yeah, so I did it in um, Cleveland, I want to say, like, three times. Like, started in 2016. I did it, like, three times over a year. And then I moved out here in June of 2017. And I did it, like, a couple times, but, like, I never really got laughs. Um, so then, like, that, <laughs> that little, like, codependent part of my brain is like, oh, I suck. Like, I'm never going to be good at this. 
Um, and I lived like, so I lived on Melrose and Sweetser. So oh, that's like right by the Hollywood Improv. Yeah. So I would try to do like the Friday night mic. Uh, they used to have an open mic um, on Fridays from like five to seven. Oh, wow. So, and like just the room was just like a vacuum. Like no one would laugh at anything. It's five o'clock on a Friday. No one wants to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I would go there and like nothing would really land. And I think I didn't really just like realize that, you know, your first few months of doing stand-up, like, you're lucky if you get a laugh. Like, it doesn't, you're not going to blow, you know, the audience away. You're not going to be this, like, you know, Richard Pryor level and go up there and just everything you say, the audience is just going to die at. (laughs) So I think it was just kind of, like, unrealistic expectations. Um, So I kind of did it on and off uh, for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then this last November, um like about a year ago then I just kind of started going to uh like the fourth wall mics and just kind of like you know going and just keep showing up and then like eventually I remember the first really good set I had was at um Fanatic oh yeah yeah that, um, yeah, that Thursday night feedback feedback mic and um so I was uh like after that good set then um yeah so someone from the audience was like um I have really bad anxiety too so like I would like yeah like I would shake really bad um which like luckily just kind of going and doing it multiple times kind of like regrouped my brain so that I'm not really that nervous um when I get on stage anymore but remember the note um the guy was like uh you know it was a very funny set but we could see you like we see that you're really nervous up there like we could see the cord shaking and everything like (laughs) like why not make a joke out of that and I was like okay cool so then like I did start making a joke out of it like when I went up there um and then I went back to Fanatic that next week come to find out the person who gave me that note was Andy Dick so yeah yeah (laughs) so I'm glad that I didn't stick around because I'd probably have a me too joke too yeah Yeah. Yeah, I I actually finished uh reading uh Kathy Griffin's book Mm -hmm. um, which is really good Mm -hmm. and there's a whole thing about him yeah and how they were doing the what's it called Naka those college yeah 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 and he showed up she's like I don't know if he's gonna make it on time and He's like, you never know what you get. He's either going to be, like, super wasted or he's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And he showed up and he was on something. Yeah. And at some point, I think he pulled down his pants. Oh, God. Yeah. tried to, like, do something. And then she saw him, uh, like, later. or And then that same night, he had, like, three young guys in the car. And he he tells them, like, you know he's going to, like, want to, like, sleep with you all. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't know this, get out of the car. Yeah. Some of them got out of the car one stage and it's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She warned them. Yeah, and then I think he's gone to, like, rehab and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Like, I don't know. I I try to have compassion for people that, you know, have problems with addiction Mm because, you know, I think empathy is kind of the cure for that shame that's associated with it yeah. and shame oftentimes like feeds into addiction yeah because they, they feel shame and they keep doing it. yeah exactly so yeah. it's kind of like that idea of insanity of the mind like you know insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results so yeah. they just go back to what they know but um so are, are you now sober yeah i'm sober now um kind of started in recovery at the end of june um and yeah i've just been i've been going to you know 12-step meetings and um yeah i just trying to take it a day at a time and yeah and like how did you even realize that there was a problem um so let's see kind of going back so i started drinking when i was about 15 um, I got an underage in high school, but I didn't get charged for it because I think it kind of had to do with the house that I was at that, like, it got busted. There were oh. a lot of guys there, or there were a lot of people there. Only three of us had been drinking. Two of them blew, like, a point two. I was the only one that was, like, drunk. Um, and the parents 
who owned the house, they were very prominent in the community, so I think that it just kind of got swept under the rug. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get anything then, but then when I was 19, then I blacked out when I was back home, and I fell asleep in the wrong house. Oh. I just, like, passed out on this random night, or, like, this random... Uh, like a lawn? Uh, no, it was this lady's living room. Oh, okay. e- <laughs> Yeah. It, her front door was unlocked. I mean, it's a small town. Nobody locks their doors or anything. It's, it's funny. My friend was just telling me this on Wednesday because mm-hmm. we went to a wedding in Mexico. Yeah. And he went into the wrong house. Mm-hmm. And he, like, the door was open. He goes to the living room getting ready to sleep, and he's like, who are all these people? Yeah. And he he was also very drunk, and he realized he was in the wrong house and left. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, imagine if somebody would have woken up because it's like, you know, like men, women, kids, and they see a stranger, they mm-hmm. think the worst. Yeah, I um this past September, then like I went back to like make my amends, um and like I kind of got the full story because really the only thing that I remember from like I remember being at the bar and then I came to like being handcuffed and put in the back of a cop car, so um like the full story I guess what happened was like I just went in this old lady had um her grandkids staying the night so uh one of them was like sleeping on the couch in the living room that i fell asleep in so he went and woke up the grandma the grandma thought that i was like someone who came over to hook up with her like 17 year old granddaughter um but so she i guess the granddaughter came down because uh, she already kicked someone out uh, who tried to like that night who tried yeah. to come over for the granddaughter <laughs> so she thought like initially i was someone else and she was like oh thank god no i don't know him <laughs> so uh yeah they called the cops and everything and then um like as part of uh i got like underage trespassing and criminal intoxication so I had to do a month of like AA meetings um, and I really didn't take it seriously at all. Like, I mean, the month that I had to take, it was when I first moved into like my first college house. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have like frat houses or anything, but we had, um, it was like the unofficial fraternity house. Yeah, because you're probably thinking like, oh, this is just an accident. Exactly. But you can't be an alcoholic in college, right? Yeah, like this happens <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did that, um, and I pretty much drank through that whole month. I just, when I, I had to go to eight meetings, I went to all of them. I just sat in the back of the room with, like, my on my phone the whole time, and then after that was done, then just kind of put it, like, on the shelf in the back of my head. Yeah. Um, but then kind of, like, fast forward to this year, um, when I started doing stand-up a lot, then, uh, like, I... I noticed kind of early on that a good way to stop me from shaking on stage would be to, yeah, like I would chug a Modelo Tallboy before going on, and then I don't really have that off switch on my, in my brain that says to like stop. Yeah. Um. So a lot of times then it w- I would just kind of like keep going and like it kind of turns off my like discipline to do things when I drink like even if I just have like one um and is this something that runs in your family or you just it just somehow you just got this um I mean I can't really diagnose you know my parents my parents didn't you know go to AA meetings or anything but um but I mean like growing up yeah growing up I would see you know alcohol was prevalent in our family you know always at family parties um you know people would drink and um kind of just like I accidentally went to an Al-Anon meeting once um which is for like families of um alcoholics and um I'm kind of like discovering that a lot of you know I do have a lot of uh codependent like alcoholic family um, yeah, and you also have another one for, like, children, adult, adult children of alcoholics. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't diagnose my parents, but, yeah, alcohol was kind of always prevalent in our house. Yeah. Like, for me, I've never really drank alcohol in front of them. Yeah. They've drank it. Just because I feel weird drinking. Yeah. Them. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I've seen them drunk many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, like... They don't drink to black out every day, but they drink every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like even if it's just, like, a glass of wine or something. Yeah, like, like yeah. they have a beer in their hand, and it's mm-hmm. 
okay, I still think that's alcoholism because you're drinking it every day. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, something that, like, and I try not to, you know, be critical of them. Like, I do realize that, like, you know, they did the best that they could with, you know, what they had. Yeah. If, if I'm pretty sure that they had me at the age that I am now. So, you know, with the mess that my life has been, if I were to bring another human being in at this point, like, I don't know how I would oh, handle that. Oh, yeah, that, I was like, I would definitely have traumatized Yeah, me. right. Oh, I totally would have traumatized my kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I was, like, very angry at them for a long time. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, there's abuse, I saw domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and then I, now I'm just like, well, where did they get that from? They must have seen it. Exactly, exactly. Like, that's, um... I've also kind of been getting a lot into Buddhism and a lot of that is just kind of like non-attachment. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone like, I think my dad, there's times where it just kind of seems like he's being overly critical of me and it's kind of like controlling, but I kind of like, you know, we're all trying to do something to not, you know, suffer. And we, we use the tools that we have to yeah. not suffer. And so sometimes they're just projecting on you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we're all the product of our environments. We're all the sum of our experiences. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I try to just have compassion. You know, I'm, I'm an adult. I don't need my parents to yeah. be around. and So I just kind of consider, like, every every interaction that I have with them, even if I, if it does kind of bring up a resentment or something, you know, I get to talk to my parents, which, you know, it's something that, especially, um, you know, having friends that have lost parents and whatnot, yeah. it's just kind of like, I'm, I just have to be appreciative of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not there yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a learned skill, like compassion, vulnerability, they're all things that are learned skills and like, you yeah. know. Like last week I saw them for my mom's birthday mm-hmm. and it's like I want to take them to this restaurant and last minute they're like can we go here mm-hmm. and it's like well can we go here instead because it's a little closer yeah and it's like can you just meet me there because it's on my way from work it doesn't make sense for me to come to your house pick you up like it's a lot of back and forth yeah like, I'm tired I worked all day and two hours later they show up and they're like unhappy with the food they didn't seem very happy with their meals and it's like you know, I was trying, like, I'm offering to buy you dinner, mm-hmm. take you out for your birthday, and now I'm just more upset. Yeah. I didn't have to do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm seeing them. I really, I mean, obviously living 3,500 miles away from them, like, I think a lot of that just kind of comes with the distance and... uh you know, I'm seeing them for Thanksgiving next week. Um, so, you know, I do get a little bit nervous, especially kind of like, you know, going to an environment where I know there's going to be alcohol around. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I kind of, it's just, I try to have my toolkit with me, like, you know, meditate in the morning. I try to reach out to uh, three other sober alcoholics a day just to have, you know, a conversation. I have a sponsor and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think kind of just a lot of the spiritual things that I've been working on have been really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, and it's not for everyone. I mean, everyone has their own path and they're entitled to it. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening, uh, there's this thing called, like, stoicism. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, if meditation isn't for you, well, stoicism is just kind of like, I guess, being in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, exactly, and it's like, if instead of, like, having that first initial reaction, like, you're not responsible for your first thought, but you are responsible for your first action, so, like, if, um, like, let's say you're in a meeting at work, like, and somebody kind of, you have someone who's kind of a dick to you, um, like, the first, usually my first thought is, like, I'm gonna emotionally react, but it's because kind of giving yourself that breath between thought and action where you can mm-hmm. evaluate like okay do I really want to do this or is there like an alternative yeah like for me today like I knew I was angry yeah and I was like don't say anything don't say anything but it just 
it took over. Yeah. And I, I, I knew I probably shouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. But it's like, at the same time, this is my time, too. Yeah, exactly. And I tried to say it not as angry as, you know, I was. Yeah. Um, but they, they still... But you're still allowed to be mad. I mean, anger yeah. is a emotion on the beautiful palette of the human experience. Like. Yeah, just because I know that that is something I have a problem with. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I'm going to therapy, too, to mm-hmm. work on that anger. Mm-hmm. Because I, I get triggered yeah yeah exactly and i mean yeah it comes down to times where like you are allowed to like your valid resentment towards you know something if someone wrongs you then like you're allowed to say hey like you treated me this way and i don't appreciate that and like going forward like if you continue to do this there'll be consequences yeah and i tried to explain yeah why Mm -hmm. I think eventually they kind of got the hint, mm-hmm. um, and I just tried to diffuse the situation. Yeah. Because it's like they could tell, and they're like, you know, we don't even want you on this podcast anymore if you're going to have this attitude. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but do you, do you, are you, like, dating anybody right now? Uh, no, I'm, I don't know. I kind of do date around. Um, because I think, like, the first year, right? Yeah. You're supposed to just. Yeah, um, I think for me especially, like, I'm trying to not, you know, switch addictions to, you know, sex and, yeah. you know. Yeah, like, somebody was telling me that I probably had, like, uh, an addiction to affection. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I was, because, uh, like, when things end, like, I just replace them with somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's like, oh, well, I guess it lessens the hurt, but I'm just not really feeling those feelings and just moving on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, you might be onto something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I do like affection, I think just because I didn't get the affection. So it's like I want it. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm definitely kind of like the same way. Um, Like, I have kind of, I've never really have given anyone like the title of my boyfriend. But, like, there have been times where I've kind of, like, dated people for, like, you know, three months at a time. But then, like, a lot of times it's ended with them, like, ghosting me a couple times. And, like, I've just kind of said, hey, I don't really like the way that I don't like the direction that this is going. And, yeah, then there was one time, I think probably the, like, worst end of a relationship I had was, like, um, I woke up to someone, like, inserting himself in me, so I'm just, like, okay, I'm done here, so. Yeah, because that's, like, borderline rape. Yeah, that's having sex without my consent, like, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, I wasn't ready. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah, um. Yeah, and I've heard of that happening even in people who are in relationships. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like, oh, they were drunk, and then they did this, and it's like, no, that's not okay. Yeah, like, you're not entitled to have sex with me, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, it's kind of moving towards that more where people are, like, if you're supposed to say no, if somebody says no, mm-hmm. listen to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because of all the issues that have been popping up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think it's just, like, I think it's... I'm trying to get better at, like, you know... I'm not going to be the first texter all the time and like I'm going to be I think you know as I kind of am learning more that I have those codependent traits that Mm -hmm. like I don't need to communicate with someone every day and you know I don't need to send someone a like good morning smiley face text every day in order for you know boyfriend does that every day. Like sometimes I feel like he's a little needy. Yeah. Um, And we talk about like we're going to couples therapy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it's like he has stronger feelings in the relationship than I do because you know he broke up with me a few times and this is our third time trying again yeah and it's like well I have trust issues for one and it's like you did these things so it's very hard for me to be on the same page with you Mm -hmm. because I don't know if you're going to do this again yeah yeah Um, and it's like I think it's been like a month maybe Mm -hmm. and it's like I can't plan things in the future I take it again day by day Mm -hmm. because I don't know what's gonna happen like I told him like I need to see some consistency in you for a few months before I can even go there yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and then my therapist like explained to him it's like well this is why he feels this way yeah it's helpful because he's like okay I get it like I'm not gonna push it Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I think, like, yeah, that's a big tool that I've kind of learned is um, just kind of using, like, 
I feel or like the story that I'm telling myself when you act this way, like statements like that. Oh yeah, like I was reading this book, Woman Who Loved Too Much, mm-hmm. and it gave like situations, and it's like they were like one of them. I think the first one was like alcoholism, mm-hmm. where she didn't realize he was an alcoholic until way later. Yeah, like he was supposed to call her. He wouldn't call her, and she would make up a reason why. Yeah, and yeah. She call him, and then she's like, "Well, he was always drinking when we were talking." Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and then later she real she realized that was an issue. Yeah, and it just goes back to her childhood. Like there was something, like maybe with her dad or whatever, and she was just kind of doing that same situation. Mm-hmm. Or let's say somebody's mom died, and she had to be the one taking care of the family. Mm-hmm. Now she found somebody that she can take care of. Yeah. And you're just like reliving these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I think like once you start going to therapy more, you start seeing those red flags. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like. Otherwise, they're there, but you don't see them. Mm-hmm. Um, like my therapist told me, somebody who grew up in like a healthier childhood, they see those red flags. Yeah. And they leave. Mm-hmm. Somebody else will make excuses like. Well, you know, it's, I can deal with this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, I think last year there was this guy that I um, kind of dated for, like, three months. And then, like, at the end of it, um, like, he was probably the closest I've had to, like, a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, after three months, he just kind of, like, ghosted me. And it mm-hmm. just, like, wrecked me emotionally. Um, but then, like, this year I was kind of talking to someone for, you know little over a month and then he um like you know would kind of start getting distant with like responding to me and like I kind of just use those tools of like when you when you don't respond to me like that then like the story that I tell myself is that you know you're gonna ghost me and whatnot and then like you know he he did the I'm busy thing like yeah. which like you know I'm busy is kind of the biggest like bullshit flag in my in my opinion because like yeah yeah well you know it the way that I see it is like you're saying like you make time for things that you want to do like yeah you're never busy you're never too busy to do something that you love like um so it just kind of like when someone says I'm busy to me then that especially after they've been kind of like ghosting me and that the best that they could come up with is I'm busy Mm -hmm. then like that's just um yeah because I guess I did yeah 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 like I mean and I think it you know it's good to have you know a lot of things going on I don't want to you know just date someone who sits around all day with their thumb up their butt (laughs) um maybe I do but (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I think uh like after that then it was just kind of like you know what it it kind of like it gave me that freedom after he said like I'm busy that it's just kind of like you know what why am I emotionally, like, investing myself in this hole that is just going to keep, like, digging further? Yeah, like, I had a friend, and there was this guy that she was interested in, and they, uh, they were supposed to meet, and, like, last minute, you know, he would just go missing, and mm-hmm. then, like, oh, something came up, and it just kept happening again and again, and eventually, I think he ghosted her. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, why did, like, if he canceled a couple of times, I would have, you know not tried yeah but it, it's like well she didn't know any better yeah like same kind of issue mm-hmm. where it's like he was the one initiating and the conversations they did have were good that she was hopeful exactly exactly like and i think that's kind of what struck me on a lot of times would be like they would be distant from me when we weren't together but then when we were together it was you know meaningful and yeah, you know we would have fun just enough to breadcrumbing yeah i think that's the new term for yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean that sucks yeah like, dating is awful mm-hmm. because people aren't really good people yeah like it's hard to find a good person yeah exactly i think the best i love the maya angelo quote um when someone shows you who they are believe them the first time yeah or like i've seen one where it's like if you have to chase them then they're not for you exactly mm-hmm. like if like, if you have to wonder whether they want you or not, they don't want you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting because I, I was like, oh, yeah, like, there's so many times where it's like, oh, does this person like me? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that was your answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, like, I have noticed when the people do like you, they are coming after you. Mm-hmm. They are the ones texting you, how are you? They are wanting to make plans with you. Yeah, yeah. Of you doing all the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, plus I think it also makes you look good if you're not the one that is initiating everything. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this person takes themselves seriously. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. in the past, like, I would go to wherever they were. I mm-hmm. was making it easy for them. Like, yeah, I'll meet you there. Yeah. And then now when I did date again, it's like, well, I'll meet you halfway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm in that area, yeah, we can meet there. But otherwise, like... I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to drive from Culver City all the way up to the valley to accommodate you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I did do that on my second day. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they say, you know, I'll, I'll do the same for you at another time. And, like, not to say that relationships need to be transactional. Like, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there does have to be a healthy level of give and take. Yeah. And it was, like, the first day, like, he came to here. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, then I'll go over there. Mm-hmm. Even though it's far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, the whole long distance dating in LA. Yeah, no, <laughs> that is such a real thing. Yeah, because I had matched with this person on Tinder, and I told my coworkers, I was like, I don't know if I want to go out with him, because he lives in the valley, mm-hmm. and that's far. Yeah. And then we ended up, like, dating, and they were like, remember when you were complaining about him living in the valley? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I was, I was over-exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. When the traffic is slow, it's like 20-something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, driving from here to like the east side, Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, it's so funny. Like my commute to work now, like on a good day, I consider a short commute 25 minutes when back when I lived in Cleveland, like that was my longest commute I would ever have is 25 minutes. Yeah. That would be like a 20 mile commute. Yeah, (laughs) you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy how bad the traffic here is. Mm hmm. Like, it makes you not want to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. That's why they have these, like, Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you live 10 minutes away? Okay, I'll come over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, you still live in West Hollywood? Uh, I live in Culver. Oh, you, oh, so, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you did say that. Mm-hmm. So do you live, like, that way? Or? Um, it's down, it's right off Washington, kind of by La Cienega. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I know where Washington is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that Hawaiian restaurant. Yeah, do you know where, did you ever go to Rosie's, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, like, right on that street. Yeah, I got canceled. Yeah, which is sad. I love, I could walk to that, like. <laughs> I went to it one time, and it was a little bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there, there was, I don't know if he was still going, but the guy that his brother does the jokes for him, um, there's this guy, I don't know what uh, condition he has. Mm-hmm. He's, like, in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says it, and then the brother translates. Mm-hmm. But it was just different. And then when I did my mic, like, he kept interrupting me. Yeah. And I was like, you had your time, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, let me go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched it back, and I, at the time, I was getting mad at him. Mm-hmm. He kept, you know, when I would say something, he would say something. Yeah. And I was like, you know, don't be mad at him. He was laughing. Exactly. Laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Be a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's definitely where like, um, I'm trying to get better. Is especially like as you go to like one of those slotted mics. Um, it's always the seven o'clock hour ones where you could come up with like, like I'm pretty sure like, uh, like John Mulaney could do a five minute set at like Burt's at seven and it would fall flat because <laughs> no one would laugh. So I like. I'm trying to not let myself get in my head and be like, because I mean, a lot of times when I just shit on myself on stage where I'm like, okay, uh, I guess we're dealing with a tough crowd here. It's like, you don't, you don't go to the strip club and call strippers fat. Like you don't go to a comedy show and make fun of the audience. It's the worst. I've been to, I've been going to Burt's a lot this week. Mm -hmm. I think I went there like three times. Mm -hmm. It's the worst when the host starts off the mic by saying how bad he is. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're hosting, like, that your job is to pretty much, you know, and this isn't just exclusively at Burt's, um, yeah. 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 No, I, did, <laughs> I did a show on Tuesday where the comedian, I don't even know if he was a comedian, but the host, but same thing, he's like, oh yeah, I know my jokes are bad, but these people that I have for you are good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you are ruining this room. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't say that you're bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that was interesting because I did back-to-back efforts, mm-hmm. and it was completely different. Exactly. Yeah, you'll do one hour and everything kills, and you could do that same set the next hour, and everyone's just, like, on their phones or... Yeah, like, like I was doing the slaughter a lot the past few weeks mm-hmm. because it's convenient. Yeah. Um, 
and I think it's good if you have material that you're just trying to clean up. Exactly. But if you have new material, I don't think it works. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like to kind of do um, bar mics to work on materials and then slotted to work on a set. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just polish. Yeah, exactly. Or just get it the right time. Yeah, exactly. Like, like mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I figure five-minute set at Burt's is going to give you, like, seven minutes at an actual booked show because you're, you're going to get those extra two minutes yeah. of laughs and even, like, riffing with the audience and whatnot. No, I do prefer the bar mics because sometimes there is people there. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, at least I'm getting something. It's not just comics and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always try material sometimes at shows. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a bar show, yeah. it's like, okay, this is not too high stakes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if I do a bar mic, then I consider it a win if I make the bartender laugh. Like that's that's my biggest, mm-hmm. that's my goal when I go to a bar mic. Yeah. Do you have any, like, upcoming shows? Um, well, I have this one uh, in Tarzana called Laugh and Roll. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, next one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm not on anything for the next few weeks, I think, until that week before Christmas, and then... Yeah, the year's almost over. Yeah. It yeah, it did. This year flew by. Yeah, I remember it was, like, May, June, and you're just like, ugh. Yeah. And now it's just like, wow, we have like a month and some change left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was like trying to book stuff and I was like, oh, my like November is light, my December is light. Mm-hmm. It's still looking a little better now. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I feel like I'll have one busy week where I am on like oh, yeah. four shows and then like it's uh like a drought for the next two or three weeks. Yeah, like this week I... I had three earlier and I have one today. Mm-hmm. Next week I have one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that I think I have like one or two. Yeah. 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 I'm on. Uh, yeah, I'm on your show. The that's twelve fourteen or twelve fifteen. I just know the third month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm at Flappers that Saturday. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been Flappers a couple of times. Mm-hmm. This last time was pretty bad yeah yeah i was just like why are you booking these people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was like i don't know 15 comedians and maybe like five regular people in the room yeah and some of them were just it was bad i was like this is a club like why who booked these people yeah exactly <laughs> no the flapper show is at um it's on twelve twenty one, so like the Saturday before Christmas at four oh. o'clock. So I'm oh, just, I'm not going in with any expectations. Yeah. In all honesty, like it was cool the last time I did a show at Flappers, and Whitney Cummings dropped in on oh, the show. Wow. So cool. yeah, so I've got to be on the same shows as Whitney Cummings and um, Ron Jeremy this oh, year. So oh, yeah. <laughs> not good. yeah, no, like, he's, he's not. Like but yeah. Crowd. Yeah, exactly, and he brings, like, energy, they was, um, he just kind of, like, I was on, it was the, like, U.S. comedy contest, and so, like, as the judges were, like, tallying up the scores and everything, then he went up for, like, three minutes and just did materials about how big his dick was, (laughs) and... I've actually never seen it. (laughs) I haven't either, yeah, come to think of it. I know he still does porn. Mm -hmm. I'm just, like... Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's like who's getting the win win here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wonder if he like pumps his like stuff with steroids. Oh yeah, he's got to. He's got to. I mean, I'm sure he probably he probably has like a tolerance for Viagra at yeah, this point. Yeah, I think when I first heard of him was there was that reality show like Celebrity Jailhouse. Yeah, yeah, something like VH1 or yeah, something. That was yeah. The first time I ever heard of him. Yeah. I saw him one time in public uh, at a yogurt place on Hollywood. Yeah. And he he went in there just to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I saw him at Pride. Was it this year or last year? I think last year at Pride. Was he topless? (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember much from that day, but I would just assume yes. I went to Pride last year. Mm -hmm. I didn't even get to go inside. Like, I had a ticket. Yeah. But it was like, that line was so long. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go home. I pretty much just went to bars. Like, yeah. I never went to the actual, like, festival. Yeah, I realized this year, I was like, that's what I should have done. Because mm-hmm. that's what we ended up doing. Like, we went to, like, Mickey's. Yeah. Um, And we're just, like, dancing. And then my 
friends are doing below. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, they were, I think one of them gave me some kind of pill, like, I don't know what it was, like Xanax or something. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember I just put it in my pocket. Yeah. And I, I ended up losing it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this pill, and they're doing the cocaine. Yeah. And it, my, my friend who I was spending time with, he was like, yeah, that really, like, messed me up. Yeah, yeah, you do, drinking on Xanax is essentially just a blackout. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this year at Pride, that was kind of, like, my last big, like, binge, um... Because, like, I was broke at the time, but I had a bunch of mushrooms and molly left over from uh, Coachella. Mm -hmm. So I just did that. And, like, about halfway through, like, I started the mushroom trip kind of started to go bad. And I just kind of had, like, one of those realizations. That's kind of when I had, like, the first... I didn't realize it was, like, a realization of codependence issues. Uh, at the time, like, I didn't put the word to it, but I just remember, like, I was at the party, and I was just like, holy shit, like, I built my whole life around trying to, like, appease other people, and I was, like, at this party, like, you know, my serotonin is, you know, going crazy because of the molly, Yeah. and I just, like, like, I was at, we were at this, like, outside party, and I just, like, I had sunglasses on, and I just started crying, like, yeah. Yeah, I did mushrooms, uh, I think a month ago, mm-hmm. and I just fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. I would say tripping is the biggest thing that I miss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did acid like two days later because mm-hmm. I was like, well, the mushrooms didn't work. I'm gonna do the acid. Yeah. And I did it with my ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Because <laughs> I thought it would be a way to heal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it was good, but like, I hadn't done a full dose because the time before that I had a bad trip. Yeah. And it was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. And this time like there was a couple of things that popped up from the last time yeah and it's like i don't know if this thing really happened mm-hmm. but you know now i'm thinking about it and now i'm getting these weird feelings and it's like oh i think i need to not do this again yeah just because like i, I whatever this was like it's affecting me mm-hmm. i did like dmt dmt was my favorite and it's only like 15 minutes but it's like very intense yeah my friend was telling me that you like the way you're supposed to do it, right? And you, like, yeah. Meditate, yeah. And then you feel, like, extraterrestrial. Yeah, and yeah. Was, like, like, so scary. Like, I saw, it was, like, the elephant goddess, uh, like, the Hindu elephant goddess. Yeah, I forgot her name. Right? Yeah, it starts with a G. And I saw the, um, another entity identified themselves as, uh, the Archangel Michael. Um, so it was, it was cool, like, so after the trip, then I woke up, um, my friend was, like... It's pretty, like, Denisa or something? I think so, yeah, yeah. So my friend was, like, spotting me, and he had this music playing on the TV, and the next song that came on, then the singer had, like, that elephant on her guitar, and then, um, so then after that, I, this was up in San Francisco, and then I drove down, um, so I was just like, okay, let me just, like chill for like an hour so we went to a bar grabbed lunch and like a beer and the only bar that was open um was like an elephant themed bar so right when I walked in then there was a picture of that elephant goddess like right when I got in so it was like yeah so I was like oh shit like maybe this uh, trip had some weight to it yeah my friend was telling me that every time he does it he just feels like a better person yeah yeah he said that this last time he did it cocaine yeah 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 no within a month of me doing dmt then that's kind of when i started recovery so yeah so in that case like it seems to be good yeah yeah Um, but yeah i I thought that because he was telling me like you know he wasn't buying the cocaine but every time he went on business trips it would just find him oh yeah no that's literally how it happened to me like i wasn't looking for coke coke is my that Coke is the reason why I can't drink. Like, if I have one beer, I'm going to test positive for Coke. Oh, no. Like, I don't know if you listen to Dak Shepard's podcast. I don't. I don't. really good. He's also a, a recovering addict. Mm-hmm. Like, he's completely sober, doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He says the same thing. He's like, I can't drink because if I drink, I will find cocaine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't really do Coke until, like, the first, um, it was, like, two months, but it was the St. Patty's Day before I moved out here, and then when I moved out here, then, um, the first people that I moved in with, 
Um, I just found them off like one of those Facebook like gypsy housing groups because I just wanted like a uh, kind of like a subletted uh, like a furnished sublet. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want to have to move like a bed and couch and all that stuff out here. So I move in as we're talking on Facebook. She's like, "Yeah, just so you know, we sell uh, weed." Um, and I was like, "Okay, you know, I guess." you sell weed that's kind of weird in California because I mean it was still before it was still when it was only um medicinal yeah so I was like okay you know whatever floats your boat so then I get to the house and then as I move in or like after I move all my stuff in Mm -hmm. my dad goes to his hotel and her boyfriend is like yeah just so you know we don't just sell weed um we pretty much sell everything but heroin and meth so a there will probably be some foot traffic so lock your door and B, if you need anything, let us know. So, oh, no. Yeah. So That's that, like it, a parent's nightmare. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I, I also met somebody that was from Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were very, like, naive when they came here. Mm-hmm. Very good person, whatever. Then they came here, got in, in with the wrong crowd, where it's like, hey, I don't, I don't remember the whole situation, but it's like, he had to sell weed in order for, like, I think they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to hook you up with, like, a housing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the con was like, you have to sell weed. Yeah. And then now he starts having to do this. And I think he ends up getting caught, goes to jail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I met him, he had all these tattoos. And, you know, it was just so sad. Yeah. That he came here as, like, a goody two-shoes. Mm-hmm. People took advantage. Yeah, yeah. But luckily, like, you know, you were able to clean up and mm-hmm. it didn't, like, take a toll. Like, because it could have been worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Like. And I'm glad they weren't selling meth or heroin. Yeah, right? Thank God. Like, yeah. I didn't need people, like, knocking on my window at 2 o'clock in the morning asking for shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's scary. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you were probably like, well, I, there's nowhere else for me to go, you know? Yeah. I mean, luckily, um, the landlord decided to sell the house, like because we were only on month-to-month lease at that point so he sold the house within three months and luckily i was able to move out of that environment that's when i moved to the place by the hollywood improv um so it wasn't readily available like all the time but i was still kind of doing it a lot yeah and then yeah yeah um kind of slowed my roll a little bit but you know yeah yeah, it can be like a dark hole. Yeah. Like for, for me, it's like, yeah, in college, I I think I had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I didn't know the limits. I mean, yeah. I would drink until, you know, I couldn't drink anymore. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And people just left me, too. Like, yeah, right. I mean, I guess other people aren't going to tell you to stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they would, like, take me home. Yeah. And it's like, it was safe. Like, if I was doing that now. I would drink until I would pass out on, like, a random house party's couch, and then, like, you know. I <laughs> next door to my friends who mm-hmm. would always have the party. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I could just walk next door. Or mm-hmm. would carry me next door. Yeah. 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 Like, when I lived in the, like, party house, then we would have, like, we had a huge basement, so we would have, like, a bunch of people. And just being in crowds, just, I'm very introverted, so that would just, mm-hmm. like, knock me out. So, like, about an hour into every party, I would just, like, grab a handful of people and we would just go up in my room and smoke weed together. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, it's like, yeah, when you are an introvert, when you do start drinking, you do loosen up. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I should be drinking. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, now I just, I just, like, smoke weed, um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Like, all the other stuff, it's like... Because I also have an aneurysm, so it's like oh, I yeah. shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. so Like, they, they were like, you can't do cocaine, and I was like, that's fine. Like, I wasn't doing cocaine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, okay, I shouldn't be doing these harder stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really it. Like, drinking, like, sometimes that I show, I'll have one drink. But mm-hmm. it. Yeah, exactly. Or if it's one of those, like, you have to buy a drink to perform. Yeah. It's like, I'll buy water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cheaper. Yeah, and it's like, I'm... I would think that I would was a better on stage when I drank because I wasn't shaking so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't remember my like jokes yeah. and I was just be you're I would not, just be sloppy up there. Sharp. Yeah, exactly. Like I couldn't be the character that I wanted to be up on stage. Yeah, and I feel like comedy is kinda like 
pushes you to be an alcoholic. Yeah, no, exactly. I think if you were to take alcoholics and, like, comedians and alcoholics and, like, do a Venn diagram, it would be, like, whether treated or untreated, it would be, like, very, very thin margin on the side of, like, comedians that aren't yeah. alcoholics. Yeah, take the club to the minimum. Yeah, They're yeah. Mm-hmm. You might buy a drink. And it's, like, if you're doing a few mics and now you have to buy a drink, like, a that's a lot of drinking. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you're drinking like five times a week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially just like the social aspect of it too. Like you know, you don't you don't make it in comedy by just being a good comic. Like you have to network. be able to network, yeah. and you know what's what better way to network than grabbing a drink with people? And yeah. yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to network more, but it's hard because it's like you're tired or you don't want to go to people's shows yeah like, yeah i want to be on the show yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah but it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. um but yeah it was nice having you on the podcast yeah thank you I very much the conversation mm-hmm. i think we covered a lot of good points yeah and like you know if there's anybody that you know is having some problems or they haven't figured it out i think just hearing like some of the things that got you thinking, like, mm-hmm. hey, maybe this is an issue. Yeah. Like, hopefully somebody that, you know, is on the border, like, mm-hmm. feels like, hey, maybe there is something there. Yeah. Feel it's, free to reach out to me. My DMs are always open. Yeah. And what is your Instagram? Uh, Spike underscore metal, M-E-T-T-E-L. Cool. So, yeah. And I'll, and I'll put it on the okay. description. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cool.